Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. And I am Courtney. What do we do here, Courtney? Oh, Matt Shay, we talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning. We certainly do. Yeah, and but you know what we're gonna talk about today? Oh, not the do-dos and don't-dos? Well, well, no, we will, but it, it's in, in, in a specific realm. Oh. That is one of our favorite realms. Is My it statistics? Close, not statistics, but it goes hand in hand with statistics. It's arguments. Yes. Yes. It does go hand in hand. <laughs> it really, really does. So today we are interviewing um, Annie Toronto. She comes from the Teachers College Reading Writing Project, where she is a senior lead staff developer. So I've known Annie for a couple years now. Uh, she was one of my trainers at Teachers College. I went through the in the uh, coaching institute with her and lots of courses with her lots of you know workshops with her uh she's one of my favorite human beings and i am so excited that we got to talk with her about argument all right let's talk to annie with us our guest today is annie toronto she is a lead senior staff developer from the teachers college reading and writing project at columbia university in new york thank you for having me <laughs> yeah so we're excited to have Annie with us. I have known her for a few years now through Teachers College, and we are very excited to talk about critical thinking and argument. But before we get to all of that, which we all know is one of the most important and only things you need to know in life, Annie, what are your big projects that you're working on right now? Um, so my role is, um, at the project this year has been largely actually to do a lot of in-house support for staff developers. Mm. So I've been leading um, what we call field-based courses. That's been kind of one of my really big projects this year where we're trying to staff develop the staff developers. Um, and that's gone across a range of topics. Most recently, we've been digging into narrative nonfiction yeah. and thinking about how to support kids in integrating not just their literary skills, but also their informational reading skills. Mm -hmm. um, what we've mm -hmm. noticed when kids are reading narrative is they're actually pretty strong at carrying over the character work and their theme work, uh, but they often have a little bit of a harder time stepping back and realizing what content they're learning or thinking main idea and details kind of, you know, summarizing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, that sounds really exciting to be um, kind of, it's, yeah, like an institutional training the trainer type of situation. I bet that's kind of fun <laughs> to, uh, yeah, to kind of, I'm imagining you might do similar to like what I experienced when I was with you in the, uh, the, the coaching institute. Yeah. Where you kind of, right, you throw people into the fire right away. And say, <laughs> that's exactly it, Courtney. In yeah. fact, um, loosest experience they've ever had. So she said, we right. start doing that for exactly. ourselves. <laughs> um, so it really is modeled after that, and it does feel like that. And you know that the Coaching Institute was always yeah. one of my favorite events. So I'm still on that, and I'm still doing that, but I just get to do more Excellent. of it now. So one of my first memories of you, um, I'm not even sure you knew me then, but it was probably, it was before I actually met you personally, but you were, you were actually talking about note taking and talking about rats. And then it quickly, <laughs> it quickly moved into, um, argument and kind of building, um, opinions and arguments off of this text about rats. Um, 
And it was amazing. And it's one of, one of the experiences that really clicked for me about why understanding and creating argument is so important. So I'm curious if you can articulate why you think that developing those skills are so important for, for everybody and for our learners in particular. Yeah. Um, I think one of my guiding beliefs is that I want kids to be empowered and that I want kids to be powerful in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you think about our society and the way our democracy works, your voice, and if you know how to use your voice, um, is a way to be incredibly powerful. And, you know, I don't want them to just be the loudest voice in the room. I want them to be the voice that's most heard so that they can create change. And I think a lot of times when people, you know, put their voices out there, they're thinking louder, better, different. Um, but really, I want kids to be thinking evidence and principled. And I want them to be somebody that everyone starts to listen to so that they can affect change. So it's really just about giving them that skill set so they become those leaders. So what, what do you say to teachers or administrators like myself who are nervous about bringing like controversial topics into the classroom, especially these mm. days in this climate? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I say all the time, and I think we have to remember is that the arguments that we try to engage kids in are not fabricated for a school experience. These are arguments that live in the world. And that actually one of the skill sets that kids are going to need as adults is to know how to enter into a conversation and how to enter into a tricky conversation. And that this is the time that we can do that because we can communicate with the parents and we can offer them supportive teachers. And we can also make sure that they're really learning the skills of, you know, we're not trying to lead them to a position. We're trying to get them to research both sides and to give them really strong sources to look at. Um, so it's kind of the strongest, most supported version of what they're going to ultimately have to do anyway. Um, and that that's what school's for, right? It's the time to tackle the hard so that they can do it with independence when they're older. One of the things that uh, I'm doing right now with some of my teachers is discussing homework and what that looks like as far as a policy goes. And I was talking to one of them earlier this afternoon, and they said that uh, the author was super biased against homework, uh, mm -hmm. like this, the author hates homework. And the, the conversation went to, we have no homework or we have homework, period. And I was like, you know, there's a lot more nuance in there. Totally. And then, then just, it's not, a, it's not just a binary choice. And I think when we're talking about an argument quite a bit, uh, it's that same type of thing that there's, you, you just mentioned both sides. And with that both sides, there's a heck of a lot of stuff going on in there. And if you start to hone some of those skills about all the nuances between the side that you believe in, uh, yeah. then, then I think there's a much stronger understanding of, of, of whatever issue they're talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, that's our goal. When we're working with kids on argumentation, one of the things that we do is we tend to start by presenting two sides um, because we want to overly simplify the argument so that they understand that there are two sides. We kind of intentionally want it to be polarizing. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's most hard for kids and adults is to actually suspend your judgment and listen and form an opinion based on what you've heard and the evidence in front of you as opposed to what you thought when you went in. Um, and so we kind of intentionally try to grossly overly simplify that to drive home the point of there is another side. 
And then once you get into the sides and doing more research, we absolutely want kids to recognize that there's what we call position C and that there's actually many position Cs, that there's tons of ideas somewhere in between. Nothing is so clear cut and that you have to do the work and then ultimately say, okay, if this is the evidence in front of me, where do I stand in that? And that's really how you find your voice, right? And that should be in topics that feel tricky and hard, but that are being tackled in the world at large. Um, and that should also be topics that feel a little close to home too. Like homework is a great debate for kids because it feels so relevant. Mm -hmm. So we want them to feel like this isn't just work that you do with topics that are disconnected from your personal life, but that you hear society talking about. They're topics that affect you personally in your moment. And then also sometimes bigger societal debates, which you may or may not, um, feel as close to. One thing I have noticed in my own work when I was in the classroom and then when I was, you know, through my coaching work is that the learners are super excited to take on really heavy topics, right? That the adults, I think, are, are often hesitant to, like, like mm -hmm. kind of like our question. Um, but yeah, I've noticed that the learners want to. And so one of the I know like one of the, the underlying, you know, um, tenets of reading and writing workshop, right, is that the learners should be engaging in the things that they want to be engaged Absolutely. in, right? their topics. Anytime we can help teachers to like let go of that control, right, the like I'm in charge of the, the topic kind of thing, I think helps. But so you, you were talking about how that idea of the nuanced claim or the nuanced position of position C, right, that that's hard for people adults and children alike. I'm wondering yes. um, if you have seen other argument skills that are typically more difficult for our learners to grasp besides that one, or if that's really just the biggest one. I, I think suspending your own judgment that if you are, you know, you've heard some things, you don't often walk into a conversation or, you know, or one of these arguments or debates without having heard anything going into that, you know? Right. Um, you enter into a conversation on, you know, let's say global warming, which is one of the big conversations that's going on right now. You probably know a little something about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Courtney, for you, rats might've been the first time you really started thinking about or arguing about rats, but I live in New York City, right? Mm -hmm. The rat has been um, a neighbor of mine my entire life. So, yeah. you know, I come into that <laughs> debate <laughs> knowing some things about about rats so the idea of putting that aside to really listen is incredibly challenging for people and I think that that listening idea extends into some of the other challenges that you know it's suspending your own judgment and being open Mm -hmm. um, which means in your reading and as you inform yourself, but it also means as you listen to others. So a lot of times in argumentation, when you're talking to somebody who holds a different position, um, people kind of feel like they're supposed to take the argument all or nothing. Right. And it can be very hard for, for kids and for adults to say, you know, I don't know that I agree with your overall claim, but I do agree with that point you just made. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that you can actually say yes to part while saying no to the larger claim. And that that work can actually bring you closer to finding even another position C. Right. Um, 
which is really important, right? Are you, you, you should think about, uh, you know, Deanna, I think, it, I believe it's Deanna Kuhn. Um, we'll have to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm giving credit to the right person, but I believe it's her who said that, you know, at first you learn to argue so that ultimately you can argue to learn. And that that's really one of the things that you should be doing. Whereas I think many people think you learn something and then it's like, this is my stance. I'm just going to put it forward. Right. We're actually hoping that you listen to other people's stances and then move forward into a new idea. That, that actually the argument drives you to new thinking and to change. Right. You know, and that, so that can be tricky to recognize that I'm supposed to listen and, I, and that I might be open to saying yes to a point or that might lead me to another idea. Changing tax a little bit. Uh, I know that a lot of our school districts these days have trouble with funding and mm -hmm. getting the right type of text for kids. Uh, so what are some ways that teachers can bring critical thinking and close reading techniques into a learning experience when they have limited access to texts that are actually accessible to their learners? Mm. Um, you know, that's a really huge, huge part of argumentation. And when we were actually thinking about bringing this to kids, materials was one of the first things that we had to do. Um, and when we were thinking through materials, you know, one of the big things that we realized was that readability does matter. Mm -hmm. um, that if I, if it's too hard for me to understand as a reader, it is hard for me to pull the knowledge out of it. And then when I don't have the knowledge, I, I can't do the argument, you know, the arguing and the writing. Right. Um, so knowledge problems, you know, reading problems manifest as knowledge problems, knowledge problems manifest as writing problems. Mm. So a few of the things that we have done with great success that really help teachers to thrive off of a handful of resources and, and make them universally accessible um, is one, to go to, you know, to digital texts, start finding video clips, um, news stories, you know, instead of the print news article, can you find clips from the five o'clock news or from 2020 right. um, and, and using those with kids. Um, the other thing we've had great success with, and quite frankly, we do this, whether it's a digital text or we recommend this, I should say, whether it's a digital text or a print text, um, but doing them as a read aloud. <laughs> that you know you can you can, can you can support the experience you can do the reading of the text but engage kids in the thinking um, and you can do you know some of the texts that are kind of overtly one-sided then you could do texts that are overtly on the other side and then you could move into some news articles or some pieces that feel a little bit more nuanced that have some evidence for both sides um, what we find when we're doing it a little bit more you know, when we're doing the read aloud is that we tend to pull back a little bit on the teacher demo one of the things we want to be really mindful of is that we're not leading their thinking, right. that we're leading their process, but not their thinking. So um, I don't want to influence your ideas by saying like, oh, that was so fascinating. I'm going to have to write that down for my position. Um, <laughs> we, want to, we want to try to be a little more neutral and go, wow, there was so much information there. Which side of the argument is that on? Could you take a minute and turn and talk to your partner? You know, what are you now thinking about this? Oh, we just learned something new. Does that change your ideas? Mm -hmm. So just, you know, in that sense, it might feel a little different than some other read-alouds, but re really reading them aloud and sharing them as a class is a great way to give access. I think um, that's I, a fantastic idea. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think, so I'm thinking about like, um, maybe even upper level content teachers too. Right, like I, I think in middle school, we came across this a lot, right? Exactly what we're saying, right? How like the text is a little too difficult, but we really want them to. 
um, engage with it. But for some reason, we shied away um, from their reading it aloud and having it as a communal experience like that. Um, I think that's yeah. an excellent idea. Absolutely. I think it also comes down to uh, educators just thinking, what's our main goal here? And so when we were writing the writing units of study, our main goal was crafting and writing arguments, right? And learning the skills of how to formulate a claim, how to support it with reasons, how to pick your best evidence. Right. It wasn't on the, the teaching of reading, right? That fell into reading workshop. And of course, now there's a unit of study that helps kids to read for argumentation. Right. We knew that reading couldn't be the hurdle. So we had to move it into read aloud also so that writing workshop could be predominantly writing. Right. You know that you might take a day or two if you feel like the texts are accessible to your kids, but we're not going to spend writing workshop doing a ton of writing. Uh, I'm sorry, doing a ton of reading. We're going to spend writing workshop doing our writing, you know? Yeah. So moving that into read aloud really helped us with that. Um, I think one of the other big things to think about is that you don't need tons of texts. Uh, there is mm -hmm. a huge conception in the world that you can't enter the conversation until you've learned everything right. about the conversation. And that's a position that we, you know, we wouldn't stand behind. What we believe is you learn a little bit, enter the conversation, learn a little more, revise your idea, re-engage in the conversation, because we really do see this as a thinking cycle, right? And a learning process. And constant, you know, new information's constantly coming out. You're constantly getting new science, new statistics, new data. So really in the big ongoing arguments in the world, you are gonna have to stay current and you are gonna have to stay relevant and your ideas might change, you know, based on what's coming out. And we hope that we're creating the kids that are flexible with that, that this is not a fixed position. Based on what I know for now, here's where I stand. As I continue to learn more, I may be comfortable revising that. Are there any like quick routines or quick things that teachers can do um, if they're not necessarily a writing teacher or um, aren't even in kind of like an mm -hmm. argument unit right now, are there small quick things that they can do on a regular basis to kind of keep these skills alive and being practiced? Absolutely. Um, I think engaging in debate is, is a huge thing that you can do without having to be in a whole unit on it, you know? Um, and this is actually something that we often do in what we would consider, you know, we call it our debate protocol. Mm -hmm. Courtney, I think you might've gone through that with me, but yep. you essentially pose the question, you read either a text that presents both sides or you read a couple of texts um, that, you know, so that you make sure that there's information that's balanced on both sides. Kids gather evidence as you're reading to them and then they take a position, they plan their argument, they find an opponent to face off with, they plan, then they return to their caucus and plan their rebuttal, they face off again, and then we kind of end with a conversation in which there's a few ways. One is that they could flash draft or they could come to position C. Um, that kind of protocol that we have at the project is really designed and does easily fit into a school period. Yeah. So that is something that you could embed into a content area unit, or if you've come off of doing an argumentation writing unit and you don't want to drop the skill set, uh, you know, I think you could layer that in and find some places for that. You can find a period somewhere here and there. <laughs> right, yeah. That's that the argument protocol is one of my favorites. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And kids love it. Right. And it, it really, the more you do it, the faster it goes too. So yes. we usually say that at the start, it's about 45 minutes, but once kids really understand the steps process, I think you'll find it moves even faster than that. Yeah, I agree.
We're going to head into our final question here and wrap up our, our interview with you. So here at the podcast, we talk about our tagline is that we talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning. But we're wondering <laughs> what you would say is your biggest do-do for um, bringing argument into learning experiences. Mm. Honestly, I think debate and oral rehearsal. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, you know, when you think about the, the key work inside of argumentation, it is claims, it is reasons, it is evidence, and making sure that you have a principled argument that fits all of that. But it is also thinking about your audience and learning how to tweak your, your argument for the audience that you're going to be presenting to and thinking about how you present that mm -hmm. and making sure that you are being logical and principled and that you are not falling into some sort of logical fallacy. Mm -hmm. um, it also, I think, to remember that you are entering into a conversation and that we are doing this to give you a voice and to give you power to affect change. I think sometimes when you're a kid, and you're looking at a piece of paper, even though you're hearing that, it's hard to remember that. And so when you are actually positioned with another learner or with another person, and you have to actually do the thinking work out loud and have the conversation, you remember all of those things. And, you know, kids for now in school will write argument essays, and I hope that they find ways to continue writing those in the world at large, whether they have, they use the skills on a blog post or in an op-ed, um, but I do think mostly as adults, a lot of the change that we affect comes through the conversations we have with people. And I really want kids to be empowered for that part. Thank you so much for coming on the pod and talking with us, Annie. It was really great. Thanks. It was fun to be with you. Courtney, that was a fabulous talk about argument. I just it learned really so much. I learned so much there about argument. Yeah, it makes, and it all makes so much sense. And just like, yeah, the, the ideas about how to bring it into the class or, you know, like the, like the dealing with the, the um, like difficult topics, just like it's an adult thing, not a kid thing. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. I was really liking the ideas that it doesn't all have to be reading, that That's you can, true. especially when you only have limited resources, that there are other ways to do this. That show them video clips, read stuff aloud, and then have them develop their senses about argument. Right, right. That one question, the like, what is this really about, right? What mm -hmm. is really the learning here? If it's writing, then take away the reading barrier. Yep. And like, that, that's just such a great question for so many things. Agreed, agreed. Well, we hope you enjoyed this interview. We are obviously in the yep. midst of a process. And you can follow all of our interviews if you've missed one, which why would you miss one? Uh, you can find it at plearnmc.com or find us on Twitter at plearnmc or on Facebook at um, plearnmc. plearnmc. We are everywhere. <laughs> and with that, Courtney, right. I guess we'll talk next time. We're just it doesn't matter where we're alone.